have the amazing privilege of having the very Word of God in book form. And every Sunday and really every day, we, we can go to the Word and, and see what God says. And, and I don't know about you, but sometimes you kind of take that for granted. You just get used to it. And it's really quite an amazing thing. There's, there's really, really nothing more life-transforming, more incredible than that we have God's Word, God's living and active Word. And, and He is so gracious, thank you, as to speak to us, to, to speak through His Word, to breathe on us through His Word and create life. And so I want us to just, sometimes you just got to step back and you know, refresh your mind, refresh yourself in that reality. This is the Word of God, living, eternal, holy, glorious, loving God. And He's given us what we need through for, for all that we need for life and godliness. So, so as we come to the Word, let's come with that heart, recognizing that God has given us this incredible gift. And uh, God is going to be faithful to speak and to teach us and use weak and even sinful vessels to do glorious things. This morning I want to talk about Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. And we're going to look at what the Scriptures say about Fatherhood, they actually say a lot about fatherhood, but we'll just be focusing on one verse. Really, uh, the call of being a father is a daunting call and actually can be quite intimidating. Uh, Fatherhood is something that actually originates from God Himself. Part of who He is and His fundamental nature, He is a father. He's a perfect father. And He, in His creativity and goodness, decided to make this institution or this role of fatherhood that many of us find ourselves in. And so, in many ways, we as dads are called to image God, to, to reflect who God is and who we are as fathers. And, it, and if you really think about that, that is very daunting and very intimidating. And I, and I think if most dads were honest, at least at some points in their lives, they're going to be uh, just even full of panic over that. Uh, I can remember actually when a friend of mine, uh, who normally was very calm and cool, he was uh, uh, my, uh, a friend and a, my superior in the research lab. He was a captain in the army, um, and he was just Mr. Cool. Uh, and he was a very great guy, very nice guy, but just Mr. Cool. Always kind of had the answer, always knew what to do in a tense situation, until his wife got pregnant. And I can remember the story. I actually wasn't there when it happened, but someone went to tell him his wife was uh, in labor, and he needed to go to the hospital. And this normally calm, cool guy just panicked and started like running out of the building. He actually tripped on the stairs on the way out. And he had a bad knee. He kind of re-injured his knee. And then he was hobbling back <laughs> to, to his office to, to get on the phone to call his wife. And, and I think fatherhood sometimes can, can make the most calm man panic uh, if we recognize what we're called to do and the daunting task it is. But... Our God is a gracious God. And He's called dads to this daunting, intimidating task, but He's given us the truth that we need and the grace that we need in Christ. So that's what we're going to look at as we look at the Scriptures this morning. He's given us His Word of God to instruct us and the Holy Spirit to empower us. So let's pray as we prepare to look at Ephesians chapter 6. Sorry, I should have told you where we're going. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Lord, we just thank You. Lord, this is Your idea. Fatherhood is Your idea. You are the perfect Father. So, Lord, we come to You 
this morning, and we ask you to teach us about fatherhood. Lord, teach us who are dads about what it is to be a father. And Lord, I know there are lessons in fatherhood for all of us. So we ask you to be with us and to teach us, O God. Show us your glory. Pour out your spirits. Lead us. and Lord, quicken your word to our hearts this morning. Lord, help me. I need you. Um, it's a daunting task to preach your word, but Lord, you're faithful. Thank you for the blood of Christ that covers me and your spirit that empowers me and empowers us this morning. So Lord, work through this time and be glorified, we pray. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Well, this is a verse that falls kind of towards the end of the book of Ephesians, and we've jumped into Ephesians at different passages lately, and you probably are aware that this is just a wonderful book full of gospel truth. The beginning of the book just talks about the good news of Christ and all that it means, and so there's wonderful, incredible verses like chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And in verse 7, In Him we have redemption. We're purchased back from our sin. We have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And then the, the book of Ephesians goes on and talks about all the implications of this wonderful good news in Christ. Christ coming to die and pay for sins and to rise again, and now Christ as Lord as well. And it talks about implications for the church, His, his people, His body. In chapter 4, it goes on and talking through these implications, instructs the church to walk out these realities. In ch- chapter 4, verse 20, it says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. He's contrasting this with the life of sin. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul presents the Gospel and all its wonder and all its implications. And then he calls the Ephesians and ultimately God calls the church to walk out life in the Gospel and all that it means. And so the rest of Ephesians is very specific instruction on how we do that. And so he talks about all these key relationships. He talks about husband-wife relationships. He talks about relationships just in the body. He talks about worker-supervisor or slave-master relationships. He talks about all these practical ways to walk out the Gospel. And so that's where our verse on fatherhood falls in that context. Gospel truth, Gospel implications, 
Walk out those implications as dads with your children. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, as Paul is summing up God's plans in Christ, he says, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. He's kind of summing up that first section and saying, May God be glorified in Christ and in the church. Now that's an important context as well for us to understand Ephesians chapter 6. The goal of good fathering, the goal of Gospel-centered fathering is the glory of God. It's for God to accomplish His purposes in Christ Jesus and in the church. So there's an important context of the whole book of Ephesians that we need to take in as we jump into the specifics of chapter 6, verse 4. That fatherhood and for that matter, motherhood and childrenhood and families have a context. A context of the Gospel and a context of the glory of God in the church and in Christ Jesus. Good parenting, good fathering has a context and a trajectory. The context being the Gospel. The context being the church and the trajectory being the glory of God. It's not an end in itself. Part of what we're called to as dads, and we'll get into this as we go through these verses, is to raise children for the glory of God. To raise children for the good of the church and God's glory in the church. And so God does use and will use gospel-centered fathering to prepare pillars, prepare strong members, mature members for the church, for the building up of the church, for the glory of God through the church. So I just wanted to set that context as we jump into the specifics, that we understand how this fits together and why this is important. So in our verses this morning, there are a few calls that we want to talk about. First, Paul in verse 1 addresses children and, and there's a call on children. And though today is not Children's Day, it is, a, it is an important context that fits in with the call to fathers. My, my parents, when I used to say uh, when I was a kid, you know, when's Children's Day? When it was Father's Day or Mother's Day, they'd say every day is Children's Day. We have a special day for Father's Day and Mother's Day to honor fathers and mothers. But children here are called to obey their parents in the Lord. They're called as Christian children to obey their parents. It's right. They're they're called to walk out the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother in the context of the New Testament, the new new covenant. They're to, to honor their father and mother that it may go well with them in the land, that they may enjoy blessing. I believe the land is speaking of not only temporal experience, that there may be a blessing on the land and, and now, but also it's speaking of the future land. That children's, this is another message, but just touching on it because it's the context. Um, children are called to walk out their salvation by honoring their parents. They are called to, in a sense, prove that they are indeed children of God by their honor for their parents. And, and uh, I believe part of the land is the future land. That they may assure that indeed they are inheritors of the future land. So Paul talks about children in their call, and then he jumps in to dads, and that's what we're going to hit on. There are three calls in this verse for dads. I think you have your notes before you. Three calls of dads here in this verse uh, four. Dads, I believe, are called 
to model and live a lifestyle of gospel-centered living, to bring life-transforming truth, and to avoid anything less. To avoid goals for fathering that are anything less than gospel-centered. To raise up their children in a lifestyle of gospel-centered living. And to instruct their children in gospel-centered truth. So we're going to talk about those three calls of a dad. The first one I want to talk about, the first one that's in our verse, is this call to avoid anti-gospel goals. I think that's how it's worded in your notes. That there are goals that we want to avoid in fathering. And so Paul's first thing he says is, he calls dad, dads, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. There are lesser goals that we can hit if we aren't careful. We're going to talk about the positive goals, but Paul starts with the negative goal. Watch out for this goal, which is not a gospel-centered, gospel-empowered goal. Watch out for the goal of provoking your children. And it says here, to anger. And if you look at the cross-reference in Colossians 3.21, it almost says the same thing. It says, dads, do not provoke your children. But there instead it says, so that they not be discouraged. It's interesting that poor fathering, which we can all be guilty of, will provoke our children to one of two responses. Either they can be angry and rebel. I think Paul's particularly talking about overbearing fathers. They can be angry and rebel, or they can be crushed and discouraged. And so Paul calls fathers to avoid both these wrong goals, this tendency to overbear. I believe that you can also provoke your children just by the opposite of being absent. And many dads, that's how they would provoke their children. And I think you get the same two results. You end up with, parent, with children that are angry or discouraged. So Paul starts out by addressing a common sin. And I think in that day in particular where dads were basically wielded unquestioned authority in the home, he called dads to be very careful with their authority. But you know what? I think the same is true today. Even though dads don't kind of wield the same authority in the same way in our culture, they do wield tremendous influence. A dad's influence will shape a family, will shape children. And how a dad conducts himself in certainly his relationship with his wife and his children will have much influence on who the children are over time. God has put us in this role that is really, like I said earlier, daunting and intimidating. He has put fathers in the inescapable role of influencing our children. And what we do or don't do will shape them. called to represent the fatherhood of God, and, and that's, that's intimidating. And I don't know about you, but I can fall into what Paul's warning about. I find for myself sometimes that, that my mindset for fathering, my motive for fathering, is, is akin to having a hobby. We have a swimming pool, and our swimming pool we enjoy. We like to swim. We probably don't swim in it enough. Uh, and Sometimes, for me, fatherhood, I treat fatherhood like that swimming pool. And what I mean is that I want to have the swimming pool around as long as it's clear, as the wa- long as the water is balanced, as long as I can go and enjoy that pool. And it isn't too much work. Yes, I know it's work. I know you've got to vacuum it. I know you've got to test the chemicals and keep that right. I know you've got to keep the filter running. You know, yes, there's all, but the whole point is for me to enjoy the pool. That's why I do the work. 
And then as soon as it gets to be too much work, we start thinking, maybe we don't need a pool. This is just too much work. If you can't get those chemicals adjusted or, or if the, the, there's too many leaves falling in the pool, I don't want to deal with it. Well, sometimes I treat fatherhood like that, that I really enjoy it when it works, when I can put in my minimum effort and I get back compliant, happy kids. It's great. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Life is good. But when it takes extra effort and it takes constant work, and when I have to, well, I, I, don't, I now have my office in, in my home, so I don't come home from work, but if I had to come home from work or I have to come out of my office and deal with something after a while, I just, I get tired of it. And I'm, I can be so selfish. And God calls me not to do that. Not to live for myself. He calls me to represent Him and to hang on to grace. And we're going to talk about how that works. So that I might lead my kids and shape my kids rightly. See, the Lord not only has desires to work in my children, but He also wants to use fatherhood in my life. The Christian life really is one of death. There's an aspect of the Christian life that involves death. And, and that's why it is not appealing to people, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, who wants to die. But when we come to Christ, we're called to die to self and to die to sin. Matter of fact, if you are in Christ, you have died to self and sin with Christ. And, and God will continue to use circumstances in our lives, and for us who are dads, he's going to use that being a dad, to press that truth. That life is not about grabbing everything for yourself. It's not about comfort. It's not about having a clean swimming pool. Though he gives us clean swimming pools and gives us blessings, that's not what it's about. And so those things, as God presses them in on me, will call me to die once again to self. And then the other side of it is to live again in Christ. To place my faith in Christ who has paid for my sins and who will give me power to love my kids and meet me even in that moment of weakness and frustration. So, death and life. God works in our lives. And there's actually a couple of verses that, that talk about that. Got that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14-15. to 15. This call for Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all. And therefore... All died, dads. You died with Christ. And he who died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, for their swimming pool, or convenience or comfort, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's the call. And the love of Christ is there to empower us. Galatians 2.20, a, a very similar verse as well. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You know, it's those moments when you're just worn out and, and tired that God's going to meet you and you're going to experience the life of Christ in maybe a way that you haven't before. Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul Tripp, the author of a number of books, one on parents and teens, says the following, What do I really want for my teens? Typically, I want pre-sanctified, self-parenting children. I want children I can take to a restaurant without being embarrassed. I want children who will do their homework without being nagged. I want an easy life for myself. Frankly, I never expected that becoming a parent meant I would have to lay down my life for my children. But that's exactly what God calls me to do. My redemption not only cost Christ His glory, it also cost Him His life. 
Christ models how I need to live as someone redeemed by costly love. So for dads, our call is to walk in the Christian life. To walk it out as dads. To die to selfish desires. To live to serve our children. And to avoid the lesser goal living for something else, being selfish. And our influence is so significant. God calls us to this because we, as dads, wield incredible power. Just recently I was reading about Josh McDowell. He did a study of 1,000 parents and 2,000 children. And he looked at two-parent families because there's a lot of statistics about one-parent families and how it correlates to kids who get into trouble. He did a survey on two-parent families. And what he found was that Uh, families in which a father had a poor to fair relationship with his children were 68% more likely than the national average to have problems with drugs, alcohol, and violence. So that's where the dad's present, but the relationship isn't good. 68%. The opposite, parents, uh, teens raised in two-parent families which the father had a good to excellent relationship were 96% less likely than the national average to engage in drugs, alcohol, and violence. So it's not just that dads need to be present. Dads need need to have an excellent relationship with their children. Now, at this point, you're probably thinking, oh boy, this isn't too encouraging. I'm aware of how I fall short of the standard. Well, let's continue on into into the verse and learn more about how we do this. So we want to avoid these lesser goals, recognizing what we're called to, to die and to live in Christ. Recognizing the influence we have on our children. And let's look at what we are called to. And that's first that dads are called to impart gospel truth. Dads are called to impart gospel truth. It says in verse 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're called to bring our children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And some translations say nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that can be a good translation as well. It's, it's, discipline is speaking to the idea of raising them up in how to live. So teaching them a lifestyle of centering on Christ and His Gospel. So the discipline of the Lord is how to live a lifestyle. It's the, it's the nitty-gritty. It's how to live, how to relate, how to do it. And then the instruction of the Lord... Is, is not just informing them, though it is. It's bringing the truth of the Gospel. But the word actually in the original language means a little more. That's why some translations say instruction. Some say admonition. Admonition is a stronger word. The original word is, is related to the word for repentance. It's a similar word. It's like a sister word. The word for repentance. And what, that basically, what I mean by that is that this, ins- this instruction is not just information. It's life transforming understanding. It's, it's so instructing them that they are persuaded and influenced by the truth. So dads are to raise their children in the discipline and the persuasive understanding of the Lord. And of the Lord would speak that it's, it's of the Lord Jesus, of the Gospel, of the truth, and all the implications of the Gospel. So dads are called to impart gospel truth. We need to communicate to our kids the truth of the gospel in a way that captivates them, that captures their attention to Jesus Christ, to the Savior 
of the world to the Lord of all. That, that captivates them. That persuades them that this is indeed the best way to live. Our instruction needs to carry that weight. It needs to be persuasive. Now, the first thing I think that's important though, if we're going to persuade our kids that Christ is most worthy, that Christ is most glorious, that we are most needy of Christ, we must be persuaded ourselves, dads, of this truth. We need to be persuaded of our need for Christ. We need to be persuaded of the worth of Christ. We need to be persuaded of the adequacy of Christ. We need to recognize that we ourselves are sinners. We need to be persuaded of our need for Christ. That starts off, and this goes for all of us. We're all called to this, but dads are called to this in their role as dads. We need to recognize that we need Jesus. We're sinners. And we're going to fall short. And we need to be desperate for Jesus as we recognize that. As we recognize this call to fatherhood that's, that's so daunting. As we recognize the reality of our weakness and sin. We need to be humble in that face that reality. We need to expose our kids to that. We need to welcome them in to, to that reality for us. That we're not the guy that has all the answers. We're, we're not the one that has it all together and you need to be like us. We are the ones who are desperately needy for a Savior. And that Savior has come. And He's rescued us from our sin. And He's working out His holiness through our lives and in our lives. That's what we need to project to our kids. That's what we need to understand. We must be persuaded of our need for Christ if we are going to persuade our kids of their need. We must be persuaded of the adequacy of Christ as well. That He indeed has paid for all our sins. He indeed is faithful to meet us. He has given us His Spirit to give us power. He promises to, to be our shepherd and to walk with us. And also we need to be persuaded of the worth of Christ. That there's really nothing better in life. There's no better goal than to follow Christ as He leads us. He is the King. He is all worthy. We need to be convinced of the worth and beauty of a God-centered, Christ-centered life in order to persuade our children as well. Now, there are means of grace available for us. I'm not asking you to pick yourself up by your bootstraps this afternoon and go out and just somehow be persuaded all of a sudden. God has given us means of grace. He's given us these instruments whereby He can change our hearts and grow us in Him and encourage us. And we're in that series right now, apart from some special Sundays, on the means of grace. The Word and prayer. Fellowship. Boy, what a key means of grace fellowship is. I would not be persuaded of my need and the adequacy of Christ and the worth of Christ if it were not for vibrant, regular fellowship. Being around others who are on fire. There is that that property of God's people that we're like the coals. We need to be next to each other to continue to burn for Christ. So dads, seek those means of grace. Cultivate being persuaded yourself. And then let our kids see that. Ted Tripp says, our teenagers, speaking about teenagers, this goes for all our kids, our teenagers go into the world every single day to find things to marvel at. They are on the lookout to be impressed by something. They love to be dazzled by things in their surroundings.
But not only our teens, we were all made to be dazzled. We're made to stand back and gape, to wonder and be overwhelmed by the glory and goodness and greatness of God. We are uniquely designed to respond to this awesome glory with worship, adoration, reverence, and being awestruck with God's glory. We're made for worship. So let us be awestruck by God. And let us pass it on to our kids. And so much of it will just flow from being persuaded ourselves. It will come out as we relate to our kids. And and we're called to, to instruct our children, like in Deuteronomy 6, just as we go through the course of life. In the morning, in the evening, as you talk, as you walk along the way, as we relate to our children, through family devotions perhaps, or bedtime stories, or just sharing at mealtimes. There's no rule of what exactly you need to do, but the whole point is to be persuaded and then to share that as you share life with your kids. Create structures, create context to do that. And I, I bet if we surveyed families here, there'd be, a, there'd be a 20 different families and 20 different ways that we do that. But being persuaded and passing that on, sharing that, that awe that we have with our kids. Fathers are called to impart gospel truth to persuade our children in these truths. Fathers are also called to impart gospel discipline. To impart the lifestyle, to lead in the lifestyle that flows from the truth. Discipline will follow truth. It really will follow by necessity. What you do, what you practice, comes from what you believe, what you understand. And so if we are immersing ourselves in the good news of Christ and the glory of God that's going to come out in how we live, it's not necessarily automatic all the time. We need to be aware of that. Titus 2 instructs us on this truth. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, training us, disciplining us, I think it's the same word there, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God has appeared. Christ has appeared. The Gospel has come. And this Gospel trains us, disciplines us into a lifestyle of godliness. And that's what dads are called to do with their kids. So we need to teach them. How do you live? How then should we live? In light of this Gospel, what does it look like to walk it out? And So we need to do that as we go. A lot of hands-on stuff we're called to. We need to teach them how to, how to read their Bibles. Teach them how to pray. Maybe you do that as a family. Teach them how to bring their souls to, the, to God Himself when they struggle. Counseling them how you do that. When you're struggling, what do you do? Teach them how to do that. And I know for me, I, that's a lot of what we do. When they come to us and say we're, they're struggling, or maybe we ask them and find out they're struggling, I just share what God has taught us. How to do it practically. You know what? I, I, sometimes I need to read the Psalms and just pray and talk to God. Sometimes I need to do a prayer walk. Sometimes I just need to be around God's people more. So instructing them in the practicalities of that. What does the life look like? What's a lifestyle look like? Teaching them how to relate to other people. First and foremost, their parents. How to honor their father and mother. Oh, that's so important. 
That's really where it begins. The first commandment, that's a horizontal commandment. The first commandment of the Ten Commandments that talks about how to relate to people says, honor your father and your mother. So our children need to learn how to do that. Because if they learn how to honor their father and mother, relationships to others will flow from that. If they learn how to show respect and recognize that God has authority structures and God is sovereign, and their honoring of their father and mother is not just acknowledging their father and mother are smarter or stronger. It's acknowledging the God who has set up authority structures and learning to live life in light of that. Really, to learn to live life in the fear of the Lord. That's what it that's really what it comes down to. And the fear of the Lord means learning to live life in the presence of, of a holy and awesome God, a, a sovereign God, a good God. Learning to live life in relationship to that truth. That this God is living and He has given me parents and He is the God of my parents. And so my honor of them is honoring God. And He uses authority in life and He is the sovereign one over all things. So learning how to do that, how to relate, how to respect other people as well. Eli was a godly man in many ways. He was the high priest back in Old Testament times before Samuel and David. He was a successful man, a leader. If you read the story in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and on, you'll soon discover there's more to the story that his sons were a train wreck. He was a godly man himself, successful as high priest, but his sons were a mess. His sons would steal the sacrifices because they didn't want it boiled. That's what they would tend to do. They'd steal it so they could get the meat with the fat, the juicier portions. His sons were sleeping with the young ladies that served in the temple. And Eli warned them. In chapter 2, verse 25, he said to his sons, you know what, if If you sin against a man, that man may forgive you. But if you sin against God, you're in trouble. God God is sovereign and you guys are sinning. You're in trouble. So he solemnly warned them. But it says that he was judged. He and his whole household, Eli, his whole household, his kids, and all the generations afterwards were judged. And actually they, they all died. And the reason was not because Eli blew it entirely, But Eli was not careful to make sure he brought up his sons in the fear of the Lord and to make sure he did everything possible to restrain his sons from what they did. As dads, we need to bring our children up in the fear of the Lord. That they understand that God is in control of all things. You you can run, but you can't hide. But He's also good. And to those who run to Him, He's merciful and forgiving and faithful. And so much of our discipline of our children is just teaching them the fear of the Lord, to live in that fear and to to do everything, to work in the fear of the Lord, to recognize that God is good and He's given us work to do. He's created man for work. And I'm so glad for my dad. Though my dad would not be a Bible scholar, he he did teach us that aspect and, and work ethic. And so much of my work ethic, I realize as I go through just my mindset. I'm not the perfect worker, but generally... I I understand that God has given us work and I'm to work hard while I work and I'm to rest when it's time to rest. And I credit my dad with that. He brought us up with that and he would not settle for anything less than wholehearted work. And he enjoyed work too. It wasn't like he was a taskmaster and cruel or anything. He enjoyed it and he, he welcomed us into the same attitude 
to work hard and enjoy working hard and to not compromise, to give it your all, and then when you're done, to rest. And I, I'm, I thank God for my dad and for that work ethic, and I see the fruit of it in my life. I see it in my siblings. I see it even in my kids. My understanding of work ethic, I think even a biblical work ethic, is from my dad. And my ability to pass it on to my kids comes from my dad. So God's influence on those sort of things is so key. There's lots of ways for us to do that. I think the book of Proverbs is a great book on teaching our children about the fear of the Lord and instructing them. And the way the book of Proverbs does that, it presents two characters throughout the book, the fool and the wise man. And the book of Proverbs is really written for dads to instruct young men, though it applies to all, both young men and young women, I believe. Um, It's just full of these examples of the fool versus the wise man. And and that's a great way for us to uh, teach our children the discipline of the Lord, to instruct them. And as the children grow, our role as dads will change. Our role will shift from when they're very young, we basically say, this is how we do it, and you have no choice. If you're going to do it this way, you're going to, you're going to be disciplined. Mom or dad might need to give you a paddle on the rear end or whatever for doing this, and you need to re- re- respond and do what's right. As they get older, it changes, and it's more of coming to our children, sometimes even with tears if we need to, and imploring them, don't live this way. Live this way. Don't be a fool. Be wise. Don't live apart from the Gospel. Run to Christ and walk in holiness. And to share from our own lives. That, you know, that we, I can go to the book of Proverbs. There's lots of illustrations of the fool versus the wise man. I can go to my own life. And there's plenty of material for me to share with my kids on the fool versus the wise man. And one thing for me, I, I was a violent young man. And, and I, I tried to solve problems by fighting and things like that. And, and I have stories. And I have a scar on my, above my eye still to this day from, from a fight where I could have been very hurt and could have hurt the other person. So I can share those stories discreet, discreetly, not trying to glory in, in sin, but discreetly saying, Dad was a fool. This is how Dad lived. I tried to solve things with violence. I relied on myself. And this is what happens. You live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. I think I have some examples of wisdom to give to them, and I know one right off the bat. I, I, can, I can help them in choosing a good wife. So I think that's one thing I did, just chose wisely in my wife. And, uh, and that's one thing just to teach our children, how to, how to walk in wisdom, whether it's a wife or a husband. And I'm, I'd love to go off now and talk about all the things about my wife that are, are blessings for me. But I think I chose really wisely. God was good to choose for me in many ways, too. So we want to teach our children to have them walk in the discipline of the Lord and in the, the ways of God. Uh, there's other ways we can do that. One thing that's important in all this too, I think that, we, that I miss so many times, is, is the discipline of encouragement. The discipline of encouragement. When, when it calls us to bring up our children in the discipline of the Lord, it, we, we need to be careful that, not to see that as negative. There's positive things we're called to. And, and encouragement is oh so important. Our relationships with our children, dads, need to be where they are not always thinking, every time I get time with dad, I'm going to be corrected. Every time I get time with dad, every one-on-one time with dad means he's got something wrong with me. Our children need to feel that their dad is the most encouraging person they know. There's a quote, Murray McShane, uh, the theologian, I forget his first name, said, for every one look at your sins, take ten looks at Christ." So Peg and I call that the 90% factor. For every one correction, for every one thing that needs to improve, let's do 
ten things or nine things of encouragement. Nine things that remind us of the goodness of God already that we have in Christ. And so as we relate to our kids, the discipline of the Lord also means the discipline of encouragement. That they enjoy being around Dad because Dad is always pointing out to them the good he sees. Because Dad is doing the 90% factor. Dad has nine examples of the grace of God at work in our kids encouraging them for every one correction. That is so, so important. And, and, and it's just not a, a matter of a method either. I'm not advocating this because it works, though it does. Because it will change the nature of your relationship. It will encourage and empower your kids. Strengthen them to do what's right. Yes, it will. But there's a truth behind it that drives it. And that truth is this, that God is good. And God is active. God's grace is in our kids working things out. And if our children know the Lord, His grace is there. And there is much to encourage them about. And even if they don't yet know the Lord, the common grace of God on their lives is there. His glory fills the whole earth. Grace is everywhere. God's grace is everywhere. And the third truth that drives it is that, you know what? Dads, you and I, we don't deserve one bit of it. Because we're sinners. And we've walked away from God. Yet He's redeemed us. So when we see grace in our kids, we need to remember that. I don't deserve to have a kid like this. Yet I get one. Like this. And I see these gifts. And I see the work of God in my kids. And so we should be overwhelmed with the goodness of God to us through our kids. And they should feel that 90% factor. That's part of the discipline of the Lord. We don't want our kids living in the shadow of our disappointment. It's a terrible thing for a dad, for a child to live in the shadow of a father's disappointment. You guys know the stories. There's a funny story. Uh, Ernest Hemingway in his book, The Capital of the World, tells the story of a father and his teenage son. The son sins against his father, and in his shame he ran away from home. The father searched all over Spain for him, but he could not find the boy. Finally, in Madrid, in a last desperate attempt to find his son, he placed an ad in the newspaper. The ad read, Paco, meet at Hotel Montana, noon, Tuesday. All is forgiven. Papa. He ran that article. He prayed that the boy would see the ad and maybe, just maybe, come to Hotel Montana. On Tuesday at noon... The father arrived at the Hotel Montana and he couldn't believe his eyes. There was a squadron of police cars that had been called out to keep order among the 800 young boys named Paco who had come to meet their father in front of the Hotel Montana. 800 boys named Paco read the ad and hoped it was their dad. So dad, let's not have our children live in the shadow of our disappointment. Let us communicate our love, our forgiveness when needed to them. Our sense of gratitude that God's given us such children. One example for me as we get ready to close um, of a father that, that practiced these things. Practiced the instruction of the Lord. Persuaded his children because he himself was persuaded and then led them in the discipline of the Lord is Jonathan Edwards. If you read his story, I would just love to do a study on his parenting. I'd love to see a book just on Jonathan Edwards' parenting because it was outstanding. He was firm and gracious. He dealt with his children's willfulness when they were young, never with anger. Uh, Samuel Hopkins, a, a pastoral intern who stayed with him, said he effectually established parental authority and produced a cheerful obedience ever after. He was so effective in raising his kids in 
honoring their father and mother, that they were cheerfully obeying even as they got older. He was a man who was in love with God. He was a man who was persuaded of the glory and goodness of God in Christ. He himself was persuaded and it flowed over into his life, into his relationship with his wife and his family. And so he led the kids in how to live it out. He persuaded them. He instructed them. He practiced daily devotions with them, weekly catechism. They would go through uh, a catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. He'd ask them questions. He'd quiz his kids. They would have fun together. And And all the children had fond memories. All ten of the children had fond memories of their dad. And all ten walked with God. You guys may know the rest of the story. That in 1900, uh, 150 years after his death, they investigated uh, about 1,400 of his descendants. And this man's influence as a dad was shown by these descendants. Of them, 13 became college presidents. 65 were college professors. Three were U.S. senators. 30 judges. 100 lawyers. 60 physicians. 75 uh, military officers. 100 preachers and missionaries. 60 authors, vice president of the United States, 80 became public officials, 295 college graduates, among whom were governors, this is in the 1900s, so to be a graduate in 1900 was, was quite an achievement, among whom were governors of states and ministers of foreign countries. Winship, A.E. Winship, who did the study, said there is scarcely any great American industry that has not had one of this family among its chief promoters. You know what? It wasn't because Jonathan Edwards was a great man. Jonathan Edwards knew a great Savior. Jonathan Edwards knew he was a great sinner. But he knew a great Savior. He knew a Savior who was adequate. He was persuaded that his Savior was wonderful. He was convinced himself of the goodness and glory of God. And that's what drove him. And so he passed it on to his children. His zeal came out of that. And so as I conclude here, And as we talk about fatherhood, I don't want us thinking it's just go out and do it. Be like Jonathan Edwards. You better have this sort of heritage that Jonathan Edwards had. No. Start in the same place Jonathan Edwards started. Recognize we need the Savior. But recognize He is completely adequate, completely worthy. And then walk that out as dads, bringing up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Let's stand and close in worship this morning.